This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey everybody, welcome to Humans of Gaming. My name is Chris and I am one of the hosts and the chief executive nerd for Love Thy Nerd and Drew is actually ditching this episode, so shame on him, send him all kinds of hate mail, please. But in his stead, we have our very own Madeline Turnipseed. Madeline is our assignments editor and just general... um, awesome person that helps us out with all kinds of website stuff so say hi Mads. hi thank you for letting me come on i appreciate it totally i'm i'm pretty psyched i think (laughs) you're way more thoughtful than me so i think you're gonna ask good questions no pressure remains to be seen (laughs) so uh before we get into our guest for the show why don't you just give the good people a a madeline elevator pitch who are you what do you do uh Madeline uh, grew up in six states before she graduated high school. Um, oh, you're doing she... this in the third person, just like a bio. <laughs> Great job. Um, she uh, did genetic research on cotton fungus for USDA before she finally got over into healthcare. Um, was an EMT and is now a nurse. And uh, I do that so I can uh, eat and do this yeah. in my spare time. Yeah. And what do you, what are the things you do for LTN for us? Love for Love Thy Nerd, I, um, my assignments editor title is mostly because I try and get people to write about all different kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. games, TV, movies, comics, books, anime, uh, et cetera. If it's nerdy, I want to hear your thoughts about it. Um, I edit and I also write. Cool. Well, hey, glad to have you here. So we've got Peter Brinson. Hello. Hey, Peter. Hi. And why don't you give us the Peter Brinson elevator pitch? Sure. You I'm, don't have to do it in the third person if you don't <laughs> want to. I know she set the bar pretty high, but I know. I think that would stump me. <laughs> uh I'm Peter and I'm a professor of practice at the University of Southern California in the Interactive Media and Games Division, which is a small division of the School of Cinematic Arts, the film school. Yeah. And uh, I, for a long time, have been teaching there and making independent experimental games. Um, And that's why we're here. Yeah. And the game that has kind of got you here on this show is called Infinite Children. Um, Madeline played it and she kind of reached out to you and we got this all hooked up. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Infinite Children is a narrative game. It's on Steam for the computer. It um, is you play a person who's considering and um, pursuing uh, life extension treatments for your own child. It's a it's a science fiction. I call it a science fiction audiobook, book, uh, um, oh, okay. playable audiobook. It um, is pretty abstract and um, somewhere between science fiction, fantasy and experimental film in its feel. Someone compared it to if David Lynch and Terrence Malick crashed into each other uh, <laughs> in terms of style. Um, Do you take that as praise or? Oh, totally. Yes. Oh, good. Um, and um, you get these voice messages from long dead relatives in the past and as well as voice messages from relatives that are yet to be born from the future um, trying to shape what you do. But it's a linear game, so you either quit the game or you keep playing. In other words, the question of, of pursuing life extension for your kid, if you don't want to do it, then you just don't play the game. It's not a, it's not, it doesn't have a um, decision tree or, you know, choices to sure, make yeah. to take the narrative in different places. And importantly, so when it's all said and done, it's about something like 50 to 70 minutes long when you uh, play it. Now, that's relevant because when it came out, it was actually about seven or eight minutes long it went from the beginning to the end a to z very quickly literally rushed by and fast forward the most playable scenes slow down for you or play at normal pace but the narrative scenes zip by and incomprehensibly 
And every time someone gets a Steam achievement, the game slows down a tiny bit for everyone in the world permanently. And it took a number of weeks uh, to reach up to 20,000 achievements. And this is explained at the beginning uh, that you, when, when the, the world acquires 20,000 achievements, it was properly unlocked, uh, extended is the word, um, into its, its comparatively comprehensible version. And then I let it sit that way for about a month. And I just out of nowhere decided to start what I call the regression, which is then now a new 50 achievements. So prior there were 50 achievements for each individual. And now there's a new 50 achievements that every time anyone plays it, it regresses and gets shorter and more incomprehensible every time um, anyone earns a Steam achievement. So that's, that's its summary. I'm, <laughs> I have so many questions. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, but Madeline, you, <laughs> I know you have questions too, yes. so yes. I defer. So uh, in particular with regard to the format, I know you've done a couple of other games um, that changed length um, or changed some aspect of them um, every time right. that a player played. Um, so I'm guessing you liked that aspect or enjoyed it or wanted to keep um, having a conversation in that way when you designed this? Yes. I have been pondering this. I, you know, I've been I've been pondering and working on this dynamic for like 15 years, and I haven't um, named it well yet. But I call it either the extension dynamic or the online participation dynamic. Um, Mm. Because you're right, the projects I've done in the past, I on some level I think of as sort of more prototypes. They weren't wholly ambitious. So I, but compared to Infinite Children. yeah, I made a, a short film in like way over 10 years ago about Alan Turing, actually before a lot of people had heard of him. This is before the movie came out about, of course, mm, the yeah, person yeah. who conceived of computation. Um, and uh, it it when it was released online, and this was also before YouTube was out, believe that or not. I think it, it <laughs> I think YouTube existed. I Googled YouTube for this reason because I said this and I found that <laughs> I think it existed, but I don't think any of us ever heard of it when I did oh, this totally, yeah. in 2006, yeah. um, where the film, when it came out, it is going to sound a little familiar if you're listening, which is it was about two and a half seconds long because it zipped by from beginning to end a hundred times too fast. And every time anyone watched it, it would slow down a time. Um, a person would gain a frame. So in this kind of video, there are 30 frames a second. And so if you roughly do the math, every time you gain a, gain a frame at 5,000 views, it would then be full. It's fully proper two and a half minutes. Actually, 5,000 frames is about two and a half minutes long. And so, you know, the... Uh, um, the audio would begin normally and play normally and just get cut off when the film was too short. The image would zip by in, in fast forward. And so what happened is, is it's this conceit that you can't know his story, um, particularly why he died and what he went through the end of his life until everyone else is also interested in learning his story. So it's a play on that back then. I didn't feel like he was nearly well known enough, nearly popular enough compared to what he had done. Mm-hmm as I was seeing computation and computers explode, uh, obviously by 2006, we all had agreed they were, they were a big deal. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was an experiment with that. And then I made a game after that, this sort of small game called Meanwhile, which is a little more complicated, but basically anytime someone succeeds, um, anytime someone beats a level, a particular quality like jumping, jumping, running or a cooldown effect gets augmented Um and so you play the single player platformer game, but the specs you have running, jumping, cooldown are an affect of a collective participation on this single player game. So I do call it a massively single player game. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I worked on infant children for a while. And the main, what most of the work on infant children was is getting it. So people could, if they were really paying attention, take in the story in a normal way, like after they would play it, I'd ask them, so what's the plot? And, you know, early on they would say, I don't know. And, and I'd work on it for months and years until they finally gave me a summary that I was happy with. And then of course I do a ridiculous thing, which is then I made it so that it was incomprehensible when it came out. And, and you have to, um, you have to get everyone else to play it to to make it potentially comprehensible but then i think when madeline played it it it's since it's regressing now it's gonna be tough on her um so so 
I played it. I actually played it initially twice when you sent us the keys. Okay. Um, so it was, I think, still in the beta or before. That was when it was um, giving us like a random length. Oh, oh, good. Uh, so it was actually about an hour. And so then, you played it before it was released. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I had family emergency, so I had to put that on good. hold. I apologize. Yeah. And then, um, then I played it in its. Re- so I played it twice. Then, then I played it in its regressing form, which was currently on Steam. And then I went to Itch and got. Yep. Is that the like the fully extended? That's version right. On I, I okay. after, yep, yep. And it it wasn't until then that I felt like I had a, a good enough grasp on the story. Um, well, I I bet you, you I bet you if, if I bet you played it more than anyone else in the world at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, but maybe not. But yeah. um, you never know. Maybe there's a Guinness yeah. World Record for that. Uh, oh boy! Or you yeah. could make one. They do Guinness for weird things, so why not? So I this this whole concept to me, I just can't help but think you're either like sadistic or brilliant or maybe a combination of both. Well, the thing is, is that the thing is, is that (laughs) when it's incomprehensible, it's not a big waste of time because it's only 10 minutes long. So it's not a waste of time Mm -hmm. until it potentially a waste of time until, you know, you can actually get a lot from it. Um so, and, yeah. and it's also, it goes it's somewhat exponential. In other words, every time it gets a little bit longer, it gets proportionally longer. So it goes from like seven, eventually to eight minutes and nine minutes. And then it starts over the next, once it gets up to the low thousands of achievements out of 20,000, it really starts to pick up to 20. And then before you know it, it pretty much skips over the whole threshold of being in the 40 to 50 minutes long, because that I found that if it's, I did lots of testing, of course, and if it's say forty five minutes and you don't yeah. understand it, that's a problem. But if it's ten minutes right. and you don't understand, sure. <laughs> that's when you get all those yes. thumbs down. On uh, Steam. I still get those, but yeah, if it's ten minutes and you don't understand it, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, the idea, the 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 the, the, yeah. the ultimate is if it were like the trailer came out and when people played or watched the trailer it slowly got longer and thicker until it was the proper project <laughs> the goal yes this is so interesting to me because of like the collaborative kind of yeah. nature of it you know and like well i think especially the achievement things is brilliant because of i think just how gamers are um that they're gonna do that like that we love unlocking things and progressing things. And the fact that you're like, you're not just progressing a character in the game. You're progressing the game itself is like, it's like when I heard about somebody built a working hard drive in Minecraft, like I, (laughs) I just can't even, Oh my gosh. Like I don't, my brain does not understand. Yeah. I don't know how you'd verify that was working, (laughs) but, um, yes, that's right. So, so I've been, um, so my background when I went to college long, long ago was I studied experimental film. And as I was getting out back in the late 90s, I, I, my friends like, let's just make games instead. You should make games. And this was before <laughs> there was this clarified idea of being an indie gamer. I don't think that term was around at all. Like what 90, year would this have been? 99. And oh, yeah, um, totally. I mean, there technically were people who found their own funding, but on the, on the, the definition of the kind of the spirit of the artist of someone, whether it's the musician who isn't, doesn't have a label sign, but they make music or the, I mean, I could go on, right. Or the filmmaker in the nineties, you know, a lot of independent film going mm-hmm. on, which they did get funding, but it wasn't from the big channels, of course. And, but, the, but this, this spirit of the artist being a video game maker, um, he just said, you know, we should, you should just do it. And I, and I, it was, it was pretty good because I had, um, I was a little, I was too technically good at, um, I was too good at technology just to be a filmmaker in a way. Like I, I filmmaking is to make a great film mm. is profoundly difficult, but by the nineties, it wasn't that hard to actually do the tech, um, by itself. Yeah, and I was okay. like, God, I can code, a, I can program a computer. Am I wasting like, so, so it's like, Hey, I can make games and the game engines came out and all that stuff. So I get to this because, um, the minds I've been thinking a long time about the mindset of what does it mean to experiment with games? And that turned into becoming a professor because that's my role is not to make good games, but it's to make different games. Um, 
and mm. uh, and how I can influence. I mean, you'll find this most academics get to pursue things that aren't going to obviously make money. And they can e- they either <laughs> uh, come up with something that's for a comparatively smaller audience or they have a good influence on their students because they're trying to think of something that doesn't already exist out there in the commercial world. And you find, I mean, a scientist, a good scientist is actually discovering things about the universe that we can't Im- imminently describe as being profitable. Um, uh, the, the example I really like is, um, I wish I had some references, but the person who discovered radio waves, I mean, like that waves of energy flying through the air hundred some mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. was not thinking about making money on a radio. The radio had not been conceived. They discovered right, energy totally. flying yeah. through the air, which was amazing. And I, I would argue that the mindset it took to discover that, to be open to this crazy radical idea of energy in the air was, um, was open because they weren't, didn't have a preconceived notion of where their research was going. Um, and if you're trying to, if you're trying Mm. to make a gadget, I'm not against gadgets, but if you're like, I'm going to make a radio and it's going to dial into music and people are going, you know, what a radio is that that's, um, doesn't open you up to radical thinking and the ability to be open to crazy ideas, frankly. Um, so, so like, can the extension dynamic in my games, can it become something profitable? Maybe I haven't thought of it, but I think it would be amazing if, you know, Bioware figured out how, when everyone played one of their narrative games, um, over the weeks and months, yeah. that game was different, longer and weirder or the, the dragons were different or the narrative got longer or right, um right. and they'd talk about having a reason to play the game more than once you know uh when the next dragon age comes out it's actually only an hour and a half long on the opening day but as you as everyone starts playing it you play it again and it's much longer and by the way i put time on these descriptions just to just so you understand what i'm talking about not because it's so important to time a game but um uh, but anyway, yeah, so it gets longer and embellished in some way. And now it goes from you knew the action the first time you played it, but you didn't know why that person, you know, uh, betrayed their friend. Right. And then as it gets longer, you get the same story of betrayal, but then you find out why. And then you you instead uh, the next time it's longer, you get the story of why the person who was betrayed, you know, why they were even there. So, you know what I mean? You get embellished and you start when it gets longer, more thick, you get to ask questions about that's often what we want out of narrative is to go. I was with that person in the movie or the story until they did this thing and they surprised me. I wonder why they did that thing um, uh, is a, is a common tension. So I don't I remember what the question is at this point. I was getting somewhere by going to my past in this question. I can't remember. What it was. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. What I want to say. It's that I had a suspicion that I wanted to explore interactivity and narrative in a way that wasn't about power. So often when game designers talk about how we can narrative can be extremely interesting in um, interactivity, that is games and narrative could be the new frontier uh, that, and they might sometimes deride Mm -hmm. like movies as being passive. You just take it in, you're not doing anything. I, I've always been a little skeptical that we, we actually want to have enormous power over our systems. I actually relate to having a lack of power and having a story change and, and, and for me to perceive it differently because of the knowledge that other people have perceived it. So whether you've seen a car accident by yourself or you've heard about a famous person getting in a car to accident, you saw it and a million people viewed it has a very different meaning because of the other people because you know other people know about it so and so the context of knowing something or experiencing something matters and i wanted to play on that and to feel like even though technically your vote you're when you get one achievement out of twenty thousand, you aren't powerful you aren't impactful frankly um but you have bought into this ownership of a community doing something of a community making it available Mm -hmm. to everyone yeah um on that note, I was really curious then why um, why we why you decided to go then to regression after the fact, or unless that was planned from the beginning, and it was like set time. Now we're going to regress. Um, I don't have a I um well I he's a sadist. Yeah. That's why yeah, now we well it's it's awesome. funny. So okay, so the last <laughs> thing I thought of before you know I've been working on this game forever, and the last 
bit I thought of was to tie the change to achievements. That was not in the plan. I knew I wanted it to get longer or shorter based on people playing it. But I tell my students, and this is, I really think this is true. The hardest job of a game designer, I think, is communicating the system to the player so they learn it well and they like learning it. And I just mean like if you have a game and the blue power up makes you grow and the red power up makes you run fast, you, you be you, new game young game designers are shocked when they find out that their players do not get it. They don't pick, and and it yeah. takes work to. T- it's it's really a delicate balance teaching people something. And all of us who spend a lot of time on our games are the are quite naive to how obtuse our games might be, and we think it's so obvious. We've been spending thirty eight hours on it, and uh, it's not obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I was worried about that until I was like, "Oh, wait, I'll tie it to achievements." So that was the last kind of last, not last minute decision, but that was like when I was like, "Okay, now I'm ready to finish this and release it." Yeah, but it what clicked. I didn't know is that um, about achievement hunters. And the people who are narrowly <laughs> interested in just getting achievements and getting them all in a game. And um, and they are my friends and kind of my... I'm also kind of scared of them because, because <laughs> they have clearly been the big thrust of it getting to 20,000 achievements in a matter of weeks. Um, but then um, I kind of wanted to give them a new present when at a, a month after it was already unlocked completely so that they'd have another 50 achievements and they have something else to engage. Um, so I just wanted, I, the short answer is I wanted to make it dynamic. I wanted to kind of keep, keep it going. So I knew that it wasn't going to be a hugely successful game. So picking that 20,000 was a difficult choice. I knew that if it was too short, it would be, you know, unlocked quickly. And if I knew it was too long, I'd seem like I was, I'd be embarrassed, frankly, like, oh, we're still waiting for 60,000. <laughs> and never, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it turns out, I think it was a little too low. I think 20,000 was a little low. I wish in retrospect, I mm. think we could have managed 50,000. So in a way, I just kind of, you know, extended that a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen when it gets when the regression's over. What do you think I should do? Should I let it stay extremely short for a while? Yeah, that was gonna be that was gonna be my next question. Is if I don't you know. Uh, Let's decide. Why don't y'all decide? So, uh, <laughs> so I read most of not every comment, but I read a lot of the yeah. Steam threads for what other people thought of this, and um, it feels like I got a lot different than uh, what many people experienced on Steam. Or at least um, my feeling of return on okay. investment. Um, there were a couple of threads that felt that commented saying like we didn't um it it's dumb in its longest form right which i don't right. <laughs> I, um yep. because i love story and so i felt like i got the entire story finally in the fullest form um and then there it felt like there were a lot of people for the shorter version yep. it seemed like looking at playtime that enjoyed it more um so i think because the lengthening the extension of the game is so closely tied with what you're actually doing in the game with what the narrative is i feel like for people to not experience that they are missing out on something yeah um so i don't know if like oscillation is possible or if that just creates more work for you as long as steam is alive yeah i'm i'm I, i'm confident i'm not going to have it ping pong forever um i might just <laughs> uh I don't know what I don't know what I want to do. I mean, the truth is, in some ways, gamers as a whole are really bright. In some ways, are really stupid. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. game culture has so so. This is what I was trying to bring up with the '90s. So I'm old. Like I was, I'm 44. I'm the first generation to have a chance when I was in my 20s to go. Maybe I'll be an indie gamer and uh, figure that out. And then, then I was also mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time, living in Los Angeles, where. I was like, maybe we should have game school. Um, and, you know, I didn't do it, hardly did it by myself, but I was with some other colleagues when we were young and didn't know how, just decided, let's make a game school at USC. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, the, the, I bring this up because also what I've witnessed with the rise of this kind of game culture is the internet. So the uh, they don't perfectly align, but the idea of, knowing games and knowing how the internet and working with the internet 
seem to be relatively simultaneous in our culture. And so the internet allows people to be yeah. really asinine. And I don't know if they would have mm-hmm. been without, I don't know if game people would be an asinine without the internet or not. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So sometimes you have really, probably really thoughtful people who on the internet are not thoughtful. Um, yeah. <laughs> I sometimes, uh, I kind of equate yeah. it to social media um, or, you know, attribute it to that. Like I, often say like i think social media is more power than most yes. people can wield like well you know it's too it's too yep. much power for us yeah, as humans because uh, it makes us feel like our voice is louder than it actually is or our voice matters more right. than it actually does right i'm very scared of you know? social media also um and because uh, i have saw it come out not when i was a child but I've seen, I really, really remember the era before social media. And now I see, I even was teaching before social media. So to see how it's affected college students has been profound. But, but so, so, um, you know, I, you know, comment boards aren't the best place for uh, feedback. uh, (laughs) Unfortunately. Well, I think it's rad. It honestly, it reminds me a little bit. Are you familiar with Jason Rohrer? And yes. um yes. one hour one yes, life. Sure. Did you I play mean, that? He's he's like the quintessential like person who figured out how to actually make a living making amazingly strange and interesting games um on his own clock and own way. And he's uh yeah, he's he's all pretty much all his games are amazing and ambitious. Yeah. We uh he was actually one of the first guests we had. Um on this show and yeah, I mean, just talking to him about that stuff and you like it. Yeah. Reminded me of that same kind of just really time. And I think something that I don't want to miss, it kind of clicked at one point when we were talking, like the, the theme of the game is also the mechanic that you've woven in there. Like this idea of extension, you know? And I think maybe some people would miss that. I'm dumb enough to miss that, but you know, thankfully hearing you talk and things like it, it helps it click in for me. Um, but that anytime that happens to me, that is, that is like a moment of brilliance in games when you can closely knit those things together. Um, I just think that's forming content can have some relationship and, um, yeah, I, I, um, I, jumped around this is when i first started infinite children i jumped around trying to figure out really it was just about an anxiety about death having recently lost my dad and then i had a new kid and i just i was mm-hmm. um very uh i was hit with this moment where it was like i'm the grown-up i'm in the middle there's a there are little kids that are weak yeah. and there are old people in my life my parents who are weak because they're old and um, oh crud! Mm. I'm like the grown up now. Um, I gotta be the strong one, and um, and so I knew to start the game with just an emotion, and the emotion was the tension of uh, of potential loss, the the anxiety of losing something, and so that's where it started with the bits where you're ushering Theo through these trials, um, and he can fall. Um, if you let him go on his own, he will walk off the bridge and fall, um, despite all his abilities and, and whatnot. And your goal is to manipulate his world so that he keeps doing what he's going to do, but not fall. Um, and, um, and then I thought, well, what that's gotta be coupled with an ambition. So if you want him to, if I don't want you want your kid to live. What do you want for them? What do you want things for your kid? What's the ultimate thing? What's the best thing you can give someone in life? It's more life. Um, and that's what extension is, is more life. And so that mm. t- that made me realize I was tying in with very old tales uh, about the fountain of youth and the like. And um, and so um, I researched life. This is actually a thing that people scientists are working on it. There's some kooks out there talking about it, but then there's legitimate people who are working on it. And the science of it is that, mm. uh, it may be in the coming decades. We take a pill every day because that's how medicine has been for the past 60 years is you don't take, you don't get cured. You take a pill every day and, um, you will age more slowly. Mm-hmm. And, um, that means that you, and the reason that's the, 
ultimate in medicine is because people who get cancer and diabetes and strokes on average are old. Um, of course, there's an, there's other examples. There's p- p- examples of young people having these ailments, but do you know what I mean? Even balding and wrinkles yeah, and, sure. you know, all the money mm-hmm. people put into, you know, that kind of thing. They're all uh, underneath age. Arthritis. Thank you. That's a good one. Um, and if that can be curbed, um, that would be the, um, an ultimate medicine. Um, and and I knew also that in science fiction, what science fiction usually does is try to freak you out. The androids are coming, you know. I mean, some of my favorite movies, like The Terminator, is <laughs> about how we shouldn't have done it. We shouldn't have invented the computer. Um, so I wanted to try yeah. not to make it. I knew I wasn't going to make it a positive yeah. story, but I didn't think I. I want to try not to make it just so clearly you know, like the future is going to be dystopia and so on. Um, and so I became interested in life extension and, mm-hmm. and as a topic, and that helped me glom on to having it be about something other than my own, just my own feelings. Um, um, and it helped me ground and incredibly. And then I was like, wait a second, I've been working on this dynamic where things get longer. I've been working on it for 10 years. Uh, that's, I could just say it's called it extension instead. Next thing I know, life extension and the thing I've been working on are, are connected man i love that i want to uh turn the corner a bit and kind of get to just know you and hear maybe how like some of these fascinations or passions sort of started to develop for you um so yeah like where where did you grow up did you grow up like here in california or somewhere nope else? i uh was born in greenville north carolina um Whoa. yeah um my dad was a professor at East Carolina, and that is, uh, it's kind of like a Cal State school in terms of size mm-hmm. and role for the state. Like it's has, you know, research, but it's not the top, you know, known as the most famous school in the state. Um, and he was from the early era of that school where it turned into a research university. And he was a wetlands ecologist. And so the story, and my mom was a high school teacher, but that I'm describing how we ended up in Greenville, North Carolina. They were from the north. And, um, and so basically it was a it was a, it is a college town. It was kind of getting going as a college town back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I was a kind of nerdy kid way before nerd had any positive connotation. Um, <laughs> I know it's kind of cool. Now to be a nerd it's like nowadays. nerd means you've got like, you know, a partner and it's the opposite of what it used to mean. I mean, you, now it means you're like choosing between partners and you're, you've got stocks in the bank or whatever people have. Um, so, so, um, <laughs> not me. <laughs> um, no, not me. uh, and so I was, I got, I was always into movies and TV and games and, you know, my era was my dad had Apple two plus, and then I had got a Nintendo a few years after that when it came out and, um, I was going to be a engineer scientist of some sort, not surprisingly, but my parents are scientists. And in it was right before my senior year in high school, or my junior in high school, I made a video with a friend, with a couple of friends who we were in Latin class. And, and the teacher said, you can make a project. You can bake a cake like the Romans would have. You can make a poster about the Roman Empire. And my friend <laughs> was like, can we make a movie? And so we made this ridiculous film and I just caught the bug of making something, making something creative. Do you still have that video? Um, no, I bet you it's, I think my one of my friends has the tape still. I, I think I still have the tape, yeah. but I think it would be static by now. I think it actually doesn't hold. It doesn't hold because this is, this is, you know, this is 20 some right, years yeah. ago. Um, this is going to be 30 before you know it. And so, um, yeah, um, it's, I, yeah, I don't think I want to see it also. Um, <laughs> uh, you hoping it's static. And I just loved the combination of being creative and being technical where I borrowed my neighbor's VCR mm. and connected the two of them with RCA cables so I could play one tape source into the other and, and unpause the record and edit it um, by just, and then I hooked up my super Nintendo and ran it through two stereos. So I could have a three channels of audio. The super Nintendo R type super R type had a sound effects um, uh, menu. So I'd run that for the gunshots of the silly movie we made plus music plus the actual soundtrack. Anyway, so I got into that and, and then you were yeah. a nerd for sure. <laughs> And um, oh, it was uh, in college. I studied film at the University of North Carolina, and then I knew I wanted to get straight, moved straight out to California. So I got into California Institute of the Arts for uh, 
for grad school. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met people who were like, yeah, tech, kind of figuring out how technology and creativity could be. That technology was more than just tools to make a film. Uh, yeah. And my friend Ito, who's been a um, professor at UCLA actually for years, um, uh, was the one who just said, yeah, let's just let's just make some games that are weird. And so um, uh, I was like, the rest yeah, is exactly. history. So. Um, so, so I've been in California uh, backing up, life, yeah. yeah, backing up a little bit. Um, I'm interested, you know, with both your parents, you said both your parents are scientists. Um, was the, I mean, you kind of got bit with this creativity bug. Was that something that you saw like your parents were creative or, you know, made things, did things, or is that something that you kind of just blazed a trail on your own? Yeah. My mom, apparently my grandfather was, was creative. He was a sculptor and writer. I never knew him, but, um, but no, my parents uh, never, no, we weren't creative in that way. I mean, in creative in this narrow idea of art, no. Um, once I discovered movies, it was pretty much, oh, oh, the VCR was new when I was little. And so that was huge revolution, the ability to watch something, right? I mean, just like, you know, I would yeah. like to see a, a movie that came out four years ago. Okay, you can do it now. Really? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, um, being an only child, I think I just spent a lot of time thinking, doing, you know, we didn't have anything to do back then. There was no <laughs> internet. There were a few channels on TV, you know, maybe I owned some music and that was that. And I didn't like sports. And so that was it. So, so we had a lot of time to sit around and think. And so, yeah, I just, I just glommed onto it, but yeah, I didn't think of myself as a creative person at all until I was about 16 or 17. I, started to go wow i guess i can make things but even then i thought i was going to go to engineering school and like learn something really concrete and then like dovetail mm -hmm. it into do both and my senior year i was like oh the heck with that i'm gonna i'm gonna study movies um, i'm curious too um you know growing up north carolina like i think that's kind of bible yeah, belt yes. ish sure right? yes sure uh you know, your parents, scientists, like we obviously know the connotations or stereotypes of like, oh, scientists, they're definitely atheist. Yeah. Um, what was religion a part of growing up or what? Was yeah, that like? um, we went to the Episcopal Church in town. It was uh, the most liberal mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't like a hip. It wasn't liberal by California standards, but it was yeah. it was just <laughs> sure, not yeah. a hate. For was, North Carolina. To be honest, it was my interpretation as it was not a it was a loving place. It was not a hateful place. Uh, OK, um, sure. I was an acolyte even for years, even when I got my driver's license, they would have me. What's that mean? It's I guess it's like a um, altar boy in Catholic school. The Catholic Church. Oh, okay. So I would I would be mm -hmm. like lighting candles and off to the side, ringing the bell when the priest was. um it's giving some prayer and uh, what else did I do? Like you just are part of the ceremony, like up at front and like hand people things when there's um, <laughs> uh, ceremonies going on, the different parts okay. of the, uh, yeah, yeah. and, uh, but the point is, is at some point I got my driver's license and they're like, Oh good. You can come to the seven thirty ceremony. Um, and my parents didn't come. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's a trip. So, um, I then didn't practice Christianity after that. I did. I mean, it was hard. I did associate Christianity with anger growing up in the South. Um, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. the racism and the homophobia were apparently in parallel with it. Um, a lot of the conservative, uh, wings of Christianity in the South. They were the dominant ones, the ones you see on yeah. TV, the ones that people would open their mouths at school about, um, and, um, I, I, I've come around. I don't see it that way. Um, I don't, I don't have, I don't have anger about it, but I, but when I was like a kid and, and you guys have to understand, like most Americans had, had horrible thoughts about gay people and, um, and racism was kind of sanctioned by, they, they, they would like quote the Bible oh, to totally. yeah. defend racism. And so I, I, mm -hmm. I had trouble with that. Um, but, um, skipping ahead, I mean, infinite children is kind of, um, coming from a place of doubt and having no place to go when it comes to like spirituality and believing in an afterlife. Mm. Well, yeah. Um, Madeline, she was telling me today, uh, or whenever that was, we talked about kind of that ending that sort of surprised her. Yeah. Um, throughout, well, I guess the, maybe that's a spoiler, but <laughs> spoilers for this game, um, throughout, Throughout the game, you're getting messages either from 
your present children from the past, or at one point you even get, well, yeah, you get messages from the past, but then you also get messages from the future, which is kind of neat. Um, at one point, I think it is when you're working with Syra, yeah. you get a message from Mia, who was your several generations prior yes, to you, that's right. um, ancestor. Um, and she's talking about, um, the youthies, so people that have taken um, this life extension medication treatment, and then uh, the agers, agers, is that what you called them? Yes. Okay. Um, the people who, who decided against it. And Mia said that basically she didn't, she didn't want life extension for herself. Um, she wasn't happy with how it had gone for her dad as far as um, how she felt like their relationship was. Um, and at the very end, she says, um, you miss out on the best part of all, you get to go to heaven, which I was totally not expecting yes. um, from this game. Yes. So I, um, this, Mia is in a sense the main character because she's really the only character who has any arc at all. And that just means that she has one kind of way of looking at the world earlier in the game. And then she has this more angry uh, uh, ending um, when you hear from her much later in her life. Um and I, uh, that just came from a place where I, um, I, I was channeling just how I see, um, the inexplicable connection in the United States of conservative political hatred and Christianity. I, I'm, mm. I'm shocked that people who followed, never heard of it, <laughs> who followed Jesus, <laughs> are so hateful. It's like, have you guys read yeah. it? Um, so mm -hmm. that I wanted her. And so basically she's a have not. So I have this friend's a philosopher at Cal state Fullerton, and he wrote a book very much about life extension. And he looked at like the moral and ethical questions that come with it. And he has the terms have nots, will nots and have. So has got life, ex get life extension, will nots forgo it and have nots, weren't allowed to weren't able to get it whether they're not going to have the money for it or they're not going to be the lucky ones so i wanted to tie the the tension of you getting life extension for your kid to being something you sought after and something that you um a valuable resource you got and passed on to your kid and then mia instead doesn't take it and she has resentment that she conflates and with the only thing she can conflate with it which is like well I at least I have God and you don't. And that's yeah. just something that's she what, can That's what I was going to ask you. So in this uh, for our listeners in this game there are characters who are have dragon faces and then they have like pink monk, monk robes and like uh fuzzy bath slippers kind of. Yep. I love these characters by the way. The first time <laughs> I saw this trailer I immediately got on Amazon. Sounds like a dream like, I had once. How can I get pink monk robes and dragon masks? Um the dragons in the game are uh basically like they're the cranky old people that they they complain and like rag you about getting life extension for your kid um yep. and so i was gonna ask you if you felt like that mia was becoming a dragon like the more that she the longer that she went and the more that she saw the youthies and how their life was going that's right um one thing that's not as clear in the game that i wish it were is the is when theo's running through theo's your child and and he's the one you're giving the valuable resource to um he, the he's battling in these very video game s these purposely video game s scenes um he's battling these dragons who actually have the same head as the dragon you're describing but it what i'm saying is, is that it's clear that it's not quite it's not nearly as obvious to players as i'd wished but um so yeah, on one hand, there's two different kinds of dragons in the game. Very classic, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings type little dragons that you fight with a sword, and then um, the ones you're describing. And and yes, so Mia doesn't get the resource, and so she turns bitter. And I also sometimes have anger towards people who are 30 years older than me, the baby boomers who are supposed to be the hippies, <laughs> who now sometimes when I'm feeling resentful, feel I feel like they're the ones who you know, had the big party and now our environment's going to collapse. And, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, folks, I think your age are like, well, you know, Oh, I'll buy a house. Oh, houses are a million dollars. You, you know, yeah. that your generation's <laughs> like, what? 
when you, you ask maybe your parents, how much was a house when you were my agents? Like it was 40,000. And so, <laughs> so it's, it's about this fear of what's going to happen to my kid at the same yes. time of being resentful. Which, which I really people. loved that dichotomy. Yes. And she really loves being resentful towards old people. <laughs> <laughs> it's her favorite. Everybody knows Madeline. They just know that about her. Grouchy. Um, just lost it. Oh, she lost Chris, it. I'm tagging you. You go. <laughs> so this is like a big question, but you know, if you just need to think about it or whatever. But I think one thing we try to drill down to is like, what is, you know, one of the reasons we ask about religion stuff is a lot of times that's like a core value system for people and what kind of drives them to do what they do. Especially like for creators or designers, you know, game designers like that could be something that sort of drives them. But I guess I'm curious for you, like, what is that thing that drives you to not only make games, but like also being a professor, you know, teaching others to do that? Like, is there something in there that you feel like this is what I want people to get when they play one of my games or this is what I want my students to get when I'm, you know, teaching them about this stuff? Like, is there is there something in there? Yeah, I mean, it- the the impulse to make something is i think just a a version of wanting to be heard um it's not so different than what we're doing right now but or or you know want literally wanting it you know wanting a friend to hear to talk to a friend but if i'm going to talk to thousands of people i want to put a more effort into it um and uh i am just uh, somehow I, 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 I'm not a profound workaholic, but I'm also not the opposite. Like I always want to work a little every day. And I, when I found game, being able to make games as something I could do in like sit down and work on my own and have control of that. I just love the daily routine of like sitting down and working on a project, something that film didn't provide because film was like, okay, we'll plan it, we'll plan it, we'll plan it, we'll plan it. Okay, now we shoot it. It's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, okay, like now we edit. And, fits and fits starts. And, starts. Kind of and I, I was always envious of musicians who, in my mind, even though it's probably not this simple, they would pick up their guitar and play. They'd write a song today. Or maybe it wouldn't be good, but they would do it. And so when I found the ability, when, when in around 2000, when the game engines came out that I could actually wrestle with, I just couldn't handle game environments before that because i'm a decent coder Mm -hmm. but not a brilliant coder um uh i just like being busy now the professor thing um uh is pragmatic in the sense that on a couple levels one is a schedule and the lifestyle is wonderful and so i make up my own syllabus i I don't like to be told what to do and i had this little (laughs) classroom of about 20 people and i'm i'm i am organized and i make up this little like three month journey we're going to go on. And, um, I just find it fun to work with really smart people, but cause they're younger than me, like they than me, but they're not wise yet because so I still know. Me. Um, <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. the other thing that's really wonderful about teaching. So, okay. So when I first got out of college, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll program web stuff and then make games at night. Like the whole Hollywood story of like, I'll work on my art off. And that doesn't work. Yeah, like yeah. I'm cause I, it, I'm just drained from whatever <laughs> I was doing, but teaching is the opposite because it's right, the reason yeah. it's the opposite. Even if it's technically exhausting is teaching is not about me. It's about them. So I get to geek out all day about the things I find interesting, all the things in video games that I just intuitively like, but we're not talking about me. We're not in me. And I get a break from myself, frankly. And then when I want to go on the weekend and work on one of my games, it's a sort of self-centered thing to do to make a project on your own or on a very small group. I'm the opposite of exhausted. Um, so um, teaching is just provides the lifestyle and the kind of like new constant newness that I love. And, you know, my dad was a professor. So looking back, it's not I kind of grew up on the campus in my hometown. So it's not very surprising that I feel so at ease on a campus. I just any town i go to and i find out there's a college there i just want to look, walk around and look at it. i just love i feel very at home on campuses so. <laughs> um i i i so i the short of is i like to make things and i like to express myself and uh and i like to have a reason to research a topic like uh life extension or right, some yeah. other topic i've yeah. pursued in the past it's interesting uh, the thing you said about you know um like you get home and like making the game is this thing that's like 
seemingly self-centered. It's just you working on a project. But it's interesting to me that like, you know, thinking specifically with infinite children, like how collaborative it is once it's out, you know, like maybe the making of it was, yeah, it's just you in a dark room, you know, typing code and stuff. Um, That's just how I picture you. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, once it's out, like it's this incredibly collaborative, like you bring all these people and, you know, basically give them a chance to own it as much, you know, or maybe not as much, but at least own a piece of it, you know? You know, I don't, you know, I find it really familiar. Like if you read an 800 page novel, what do you do about it? You tell a friend and, and then someone tells you, and I I bring up Mm -hmm. that example because it's hard to read an 800 page novel. And, um, you know, if, if someone's <laughs> looking at you Game and of if someone says, uh, have you seen the Tarantino movie? And someone's like, no, I haven't caught it. Like it's a certain relationship there of like, uh, am I part of this or not part of that? Not in a very meaningful way, but there's, a, it seems like we we're interested in like, if other people have experienced that thing that we kind of experienced alone, a novel and a movie in a dark room being examples. I should just throw in while I'm at it that, yeah, I spent a just to be uh, fair for a second. Um, of course the, my artist, Kelsey Rice did the art and, um, Mark Garbett did the music, which I'm a big fan of the music he did. It's on Spotify and everything. Cause we had so much fun with the music. Um, Oh my gosh, oh, I love it this was such a highlight. <laughs> I do adore music and um, and being able to just work with him for months and months and months on that soundtrack and get, I mean, he wrote it all, but I would just push him in directions and give him constraints like a teacher does, frankly. And then there's a number of actors, some of whom are in my, um, in my family. And so it was a collaborative experience, but it is true that 99% of the actual people hours on the project were me like hunched over a keyboard trying to get it to work. Um, and <laughs> yes, yes, it's accurate. I'm picturing That's- it now. See, you, you have played the game more than I have. You can yes. get the, the Guinness award. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny when you look at steam because when you're working on the achievements, it clocks you in. So I think on steam, it says I've played it like 2000 hours because I'm just, it's just open. (laughs) It's just, I'm just working on it or I'll go, you know, I'll I'll walk away from my computer for two hours. It's still clocking in anyway. So yeah, it looks like it's still running, (laughs) man. That's more hours than I've played destiny. Very good. And Chris loves destiny. <laughs> wow. I thought of my hey. question. Oh, go. Okay. Let's hear it. So there's a um, lot of suspense and anticipation <laughs> stuff though, so this better so, rock our world. Okay. So the other part of like Mia becoming a dragon or a dragon person, a grouchy old person, um, is that the messages that you get from Theo, um, the later and later they are in his life, the less and less they sound like what I would identify as um the human experience. Like his worldview the way he experiences life the decisions that he makes um feel like they come more and more separate from the decisions and the worldview that someone with a limited lifespan um would make um yeah so my 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 friend greg chandler wrote all those passages he's a screenwriter novelist and he did a really good job of just trying to get in the head of what it would be like to be 400 and some years old and then send a message to a parent who died when you that person was like 50. So let me just say that again. Imagine when you're 50, your parent died, and then you lived another 400 years. Like, how would you remember them? Mm-hmm. What would those memories be like? And when you sent a message back to them, what would you say? Particularly because you're so much older than your parent, uh, profoundly. Um, in a way. And so we knew we couldn't imagine it well. And he, I just, he, 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 I, he got into this space where you, where the character lost time, I think. And the character also felt uh, powerful. The one thing I really pushed him to do is I was like, I want you to, I want the character Theo when he's really old like that, but young, of course, in body. Um, He wants to, say nice things to the parent he's sending a message back to he wants to make them feel good he wants to go say essentially good job thanks you're a good parent which i think is what you would do particularly when you you then imagine your parent is this baby only 50 years old right um and yet he's struggling to even remember what it was what maybe what his parent even looked like 400 years ago or 
what would memory be like? We don't know what it'd be like to try to remember. I remember when my great grandfather was a tiny little kid. He he said, "Yeah, I learned the this so and so bit of history." I was like, "What grade?" He's like, "It's fourth or fifth or sixth. I can't remember." And I was like seven. I was I couldn't believe he couldn't remember which grade it was. But of course, I was foolish. Of course, he couldn't remember. He was eighty <laughs> yeah. something. Of course, he couldn't remember what grade he learned about the pledge of. Right. I don't know what it was, constitution. Who knows what he learned? But. Um, and just trying to work yeah. with that at age 400 and, and trying to kind of fake it, like have a relationship, like go, Hey, it's you. It's been so long. Cause I, uh, I did of course have <laughs> the opposite experience, like having dreams about imagining talking to my father after he died. Um, of course he had died recently when I had these dreams mm. and it wouldn't have been faking it at all. Um, uh, and, um, that fantasy was actually, which is actually amazingly realized in the movie Black Panther of all things. Um, yes, I, I know I he so visits his dad <laughs> in the afterlife, and it's just like, oh, I'd give anything uh, yeah. to do that. Um, and uh, so mm. that was a thrust for infinite children, just this yearning to be between wanting to do right by your kid, and you're supposed to do any, I'm not supposed to. There's, it's instinctual to want to give your kid anything when. You, when when someone says I would die for somebody else, they don't really mean it until they have a kid. It's like obviously I jump off a bridge for her, and um, if I if it came to that, and um, and then that tension between that yearning for something good to happen to her, and then wanting to hear from someone who's died, um, and and uh, just hear from them, just to hear their voice. And, and, and it, and of course, then it not being what you expect, I think is what Greg ended up writing in Theo's. You didn't know what he was going to say or what to expect from him or what to make exactly yeah. of so what he's going through. Then do you feel like that the youthies at that point would, uh, transition to post-human basically? So how that the agers feel like, well, you know, maybe we're going to die, but we have our faith or religion. Do you feel like that then the youthies... Yeah, transcended I, I think they, yes, I think they, it would be, I think the, the youthies would not be religious. I think that what grounds all, for me, what grounds religion is, is the afterlife of some sort of relationship between what I'm doing in the present and how that's going to play into what happens in the future. Um, the meaning, what is the meaning of the past? What are my actions in the present? And where is that going to take me for any sort of sense of happiness or feeling worthwhile or worthiness in the future? And whether that future is a living forever or um, that future is having being in heaven and, ha and it being a great thing um, is, is, is something I think we've been yearning for since we like came out of a cave and put two and two together and we're like saw ourselves outside mm -hmm. of ourselves for one second. And of course, um, of course I want to talk to the dead now. I mean, <laughs> I want to visit them. I mean, I want to, right, I don't want yeah. them to be gone. Yeah. So then, yeah. uh, I feel like I kind of have an answer to this from your game. Um, but do you feel like then that for humans life extension, let's say it happened exactly like it does in infinite children. Do you feel like that would be a good thing? Um, I think it will be fine because it will be incremental. So in the pill, it's going to slowly become a technology. And I think we will culturally adapt and we'll be able to keep the things that we want. I don't, I never thought, I never thought of it that ex the, the advent of life extension will be the demise of religion. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, <laughs> I, happens I, 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 um, but I, I did think it was the, it could be the demise of angry religion. Mm -hmm. um, hey, yeah. hooray. I'm um, for that. I'm all for it. And, Let's go. Um, <laughs> That's an interesting thought about like yeah. it being incremental. Cause I think maybe some people would think like, Oh, life extension. So all of a sudden we're now living 300 years exactly. instead of yeah, it'll, it'll, you know, 75. But I mean, really we've life extensions already happened over the past several hundred years you know, thousand years, like we Absolutely. live longer None of us now. Would go back on antibiotics to, and, you know? and sewage treatment plants. <laughs> right. Right. Just like yeah. just <laughs> the fact that our water, where it comes from oh. makes us live a lot longer. There's a couple things. First of all, if you live longer, you can still get in a car accident, right? So you can still die of 
things. Um, and uh, it's going to be a very long time before it's like per- keeps you perpetually young. I think any time in the next lifetime, it'll just be like it'll slow down the cancer or it will, um, you know, your hair will fall out more slowly. And I mean, I think the ideal is that you feel young and spry until you're 75 and then you somewhat quickly deteriorate and die. I mean, because I know a lot of what something none of us look forward to is um, spending about 30 years, not life extension, but like, you know, a lot of old people tell me that you spend about, if you live a long life, say to 80 something, you kind of spend like 20 years in pain and, and, um, right. Yeah. You know, going through all that. And so obviously none of us want to live to be 150 and we spend 80 of those years in pain. We, we want to, we want to feel yeah. still healthy and spry when we're 70 and maybe then it falls apart. Maybe the pill just, its effect just the pill just stops working. I don't know. I'm making this up, but um, I call it youth extension for that reason. (laughs) And um, that could have, youth (laughs) extension could have a lot of, could be really great. And I think that it's freakish when we first hear about it, but you know, most things are freakish when they are new to people and then we get used to them and we try to sort it out as a culture. There's no answer for overpopulation though. That's a problem that I can't, I can't figure that one out. Like if we all lived another 200 years, then we would have, then. Well, that'll be the next game. Let's not get ahead of (laughs) ourselves. No, actually he has the next game already in the works. Yes. Uh, And it's about voting. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up, but I do want you to have a chance to tell people about that. So like, yeah, how, how can people find you? How can they find your games? Um, you know, new projects that are coming yeah, out. Like absolutely. So the, you uh, Google me, Peter Brinson, B R I N S O N. I'm, I my bio used to say I'm not the dead ballet professor, but the other <laughs> guy. So- I have another. There's another Chris Gwaltney out there that's a painter. And funny little story. When my wife and I started dating, I told her that it was me, and so she like was super impressed at how like good of a painter I was. Yeah, they're kidding. But I was just wow. trolling her. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and anyway. uh, if you're interested, you might like look up, for example, the game I made years back was The Cat and the Coup. It's recently been released on the PlayStation if people want to dig into other experimental games. Uh, very different than Infinite Children in some ways, but mm-hmm. it's the other one that it, it did, I don't know, it, it, it did well in the festival circuit and people find it kind of interesting. It's very short. And yes, now I'm working on early and mm-hmm. often a game I'm making with a number of colleagues and students. It's not, it's a very big change for me because I'm not the creative director. I'm pre- the organizer, but we're the, the team is really, it's really a collaborative project. It's going to be on the phone and it's going to be, mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to be experimental in the way that my other projects are. It's going to be this sort of shuffleboard slash cat exploring game that, um, players <laughs> okay that's good. an explanation I can't help i've never myself. heard before i want to make a mainstream phone <laughs> game and i can't do it no yeah i'm gonna make a <laughs> shuffleboard cat exploration and you just can't. in it yeah. you uh, explicitly are told that you can vote on different game mechanics and game design elements and then it tell you know it shows you a countdown so every three hours or 10 hours or 10 days depending on what the detail is uh, the votes will be tallied and the game will change so, um, so it's a game about voting. We do want to have it come out next year to get young people excited about voting in real life and actually voting this time in a real way. And, mm. um, I'm confident having worked in yeah. the field of impact games or serious games, whatever you want to call them, um, that the way to get young people excited is not make a didactic, serious game about the very thing they're already bored about. So this will be fun. And then it'll say, by the way, you can, do you feel like you don't have enough, you know, throws or do you feel like the puck is too small or do you feel like this, this level design needs to be changed? You can vote on it and you have to live with the, the, how everyone else voted. You get a little achievement or a, my voted sticker in the game and it will just literally link and it'll say, did you know you just put more work into this level than it does to register to vote? And it will take them right to a real register to vote. And we'll just say, that's it. Please register. Please vote next year. Um, 
and enjoy our game that ostensibly is just about the emotion feeling of wanting something to be voted on and changed, but it's not about the politics. I'm not trying to hide away from the mm-hmm. politics, but I know that the, we're interested in the mechanics and the emotions of participation and what it feels like yeah, to yeah. yearn for something trivial, comparatively trivial, like how this game is going to unfold mechanically and uh, and then right. go, oh, these you know, because actually in real life, your vote doesn't matter when you vote and hundreds of millions of other people vote. Even if you vote in Wisconsin, your vote is one, you know, it's it's there's still tens of thousands of people. If you know statistics, your vote doesn't actually matter barely. So why would you vote? Well, you'd vote to be part of this thing where you get to say, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah. Did you you know, did you see the Tarantino movie? Yeah, I did. Well, did you vote? I, I think that's the way I just want <laughs> the youngins to vote. Next in 2020, desperately, I think we're picking up this be... theme from you, Peter, about this yes. collaboration. And I'm, well, I'm I know what I this is. I will see vibes. this actually unfolds. My friend marketed the music for infant children. What I tasked him with is it'd be amazing if the music there's a particular song in the game, and as people play that song, shifts from like the 70s version to the contemporary version of the same song. And it's on a spectrum. So it's Ooh. like when it's 40, 60%, what is that? And I don't know. I just, and it's kind of, yeah. Oh, I think it could exciting. be um, like this idea of, uh, 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 you know, your, your, grand, your, your parents' music is no longer, you know, what does your parents' music like sound like? What does your music sound like? And so that could be a shift in the game as well. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll cool. See. We'll see. Well, uh, yeah. Google Peter and his weird games. Um, good stuff, Great. Madeline. How can people find you if they care about following? I you? am uh, Mad underscore Seed at on Twitter. Um, that's really my only public facing thing. I write and edit quite a lot for Love Thy Nerd. So yeah, you, you can Love just go Thy to Nerd. our site and search Madeline and find all this stuff. <laughs> you should follow Love Thy Nerd. I will. I, will. I appreciate it. You know, it's it's been good talking to you, Chris and Madeline, and I'll definitely. Do what people do, and I'll look for you on Twitter and then hit the follow button. Right Ooh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Now we're talking. Yeah, so the rest of y'alls that are listening to this can do the same thing. Just search Love Thy Nerd pretty much anywhere, and you'll find us. Website, social media stuff. We got Facebook Live shows. We've got podcasts. I won't bore you with the details. Just search Love Thy Nerd, and you can find us. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash clgwaltney. If you don't know how to spell it, um, I don't know, it's probably in this podcast description it's or something. Show yeah. yeah, you'll figure it out. You guys are smart. I know it. Hey, thanks a hey, lot. Thank you. Peter, thanks a lot. Madeline, you killed thank it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Till next time, we'll see you guys. Bye.